he asked the audience, what business are you in? So you know, most people say, oh, we're, we're in the real estate business. And he said, no, I don't believe that you are. The real business that you're in is that we're all in the finance business. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I'm pleased and honored to be introducing you to Trevor McGregor. You recognize his name. He's been on the show multiple times. Just search Trevor McGregor, Joe Fairless, and you'll hear his interviews that I did with him, and he has a lot of value during those interviews. Well, he's had a lot of value in my life. For the last five years, I have hired him to be a consultant to help me with my real estate business and just personal stuff too as a life slash business coach. And he's taken my game to a different level. Before I hired him, I had four single family homes. And oh, by the way, I was also single. Fast forward to today, my company controls over $300 million worth of real estate. And I am happily, happily married. Clearly, results are going to vary, but he has helped me in five years do things that I didn't even have on my radar. So I suggest that you speak to Trevor McGregor if you're looking to take your real estate investing business to the next level. If you've had success and are looking to build on that success, then he's your guy. Go to trevormcgregor.com or coachwithtrevor.com and you'll be able to apply for a conversation with him, coachwithtrevor.com. We used to do a free consultation. We got too many free consultations, and he actually is pretty full with his consulting program, and he's very conscientious about the value that he adds. He wants to add tremendous value, so he's being very selective with the people who he does work with. So go to coachwithtrevor.com and apply to have a conversation with him, and then you two can decide if it makes sense to work together or not and hire him as a consultant. It has impacted my life in a tremendously positive way. Him and his wife have gone to my wedding. Trevor's been to my conference a couple years, and I know him well, and I suggest that you get to know him as well. Coachwithtrevor.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Kevin Dillon. How you doing, Kevin? Hi, Joe. Yeah, thank you for having me aboard. My pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. And a little bit about Kevin. He is an Australian real estate investor who has been actively investing in real estate for the last 12 years. He's based in Houston, Texas, currently owns... 1,500 rentable dwellings spread out between single-family homes and multifamily apartment communities. So with that being said, Kevin, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. In my portfolio moment is 1,015 units, <laughs> not 1,500. So in time, we'll, we'll get there, <laughs> but at the moment, 1,015. Yeah. A little bit about my background. I was actually born in Malaysia, you know, a predominantly Muslim country to um, Chinese mother and an Indian father. I grew up in Australia. I did most of my schooling there. I currently now live in the US and attend a Jewish synagogue. So I'm very lucky to be able to <laughs> have all the different influences and cultures sure. in my life. So very lucky in that way. My wife, Danielle, and I, she's really the brains of the entire operation. I'm just the pretty face. We've been doing real estate now for about 12 years. It's been awesome. You know, did it for five years back in Australia. And I've been doing it full-time for about seven years here in the United States, between initially Miami and now Houston. Okay. What were you doing in Australia versus what you're doing in Miami and Houston? I guess our approach to real estate is basically just being to move where the deals are. 
I guess we're somewhat young and, and at the time we didn't have a family, although we have a young family now. So I guess we were just moved to where the deals are. So we started off in Australia because that's where we were and started doing single family homes, duplexes, triplexes, basically residential property in Australia. And then with a financial crisis, it was a good buying opportunity in the US. And we ended up in Miami because of family connection, essentially, and started doing multifamily there. And What'd you buy in Miami? The first deal in Miami was a 27 plex. That was the first deal. Okay. It was an REO, which we bought back in 2011. Okay. And what was your role in that transaction? I was just investing my own money. So I was the purchaser, basically. So with the portfolio I had in Australia, I basically refinanced all that. Came to the US with about $950,000 in liquidity and bought that in a 24-plex as well in Miami, all cash, basically. Mm-hmm. You bought a 27-unit and a 24-unit in total for about how much? For just a little over a million dollars. So with a shortfall, I financed that using a hard money lender actually in Miami. They seemed like great opportunities, so we pushed ourselves a little bit that way and just used hard money financing to get these two deals over the line. Okay. Tell us about what the business plan was and would love to hear about how they went. Again, we were doing single family homes and residential property back in, in Melbourne, Australia. So, so my mindset was very much about buying maybe a portfolio of about 20 odd houses here in the U.S., and why we ended up in Miami is because basically I had a, a long lost uncle, hadn't spoken to you in about 20 years or so. And I found out, yeah, I've got this long lost uncle. He's based in, in Boca Raton, Florida, and he's an investor and a real estate broker himself. So that's how we ended up in Miami. So in my mindset, I guess where I was, I was looking at you know, a portfolio of about 20 odd houses. And going through the REO and the short sale process is just a very time consuming and very painful <laughs> experience because there's so little certainty because, you know, you're just waiting to hear back from the banks and all that. Mm-hmm. And so... I think we gave ourselves a goal of buying about these 20 houses in six months. Three months went by and, and we were still, we hadn't closed on anything as yet. And so it was my uncle actually that suggested, why don't you consider multifamily? And at the time I said, you know, what's multifamily? Because multifamily is an asset class, doesn't really exist in Australia. So uh, basically it's block of units and one title. So yeah, sure, let's check it out. And so looked at multifamily with the first deal, the 27 plex, with that one deal, I used up half my cash. And with the second deal, I used up all my cash. So I guess that's the great thing about multifamily. The, the, the economies of scale involved. And instead of getting 20 houses, we've got 51 units. And the amount of work in doing two transactions as opposed to 20, it just saved us a whole bunch of time and effort and aggravation. So that's the story. Were you living in Miami at the time when you bought them? Kind of. So the plan was to spend six months in Miami and six months back in Australia. So we invested all our money. And then we came back to Australia because, again, that's where my friends and family and my context was. And I guess we had a third-party property manager. And so the, the idea was to spend six months in Miami and six months back in Australia. By the second or third month, when I was back in Australia, I realized we weren't getting the results we wanted. Yeah. So then, you know, and so Daniel and I realized, look, to really make the most of our portfolio, we really got to be there and, and stabilize this thing properly, you know? Mm-hmm. And not only that, look, Miami was a sexier place to live than Melbourne, Australia, you know? So, so, <laughs> Miami's so was, sexier than most places. On the yeah, places, right? yeah, no, it's a very, very sexy place. You know? So it was an easy decision. So we decided to basically move to Miami full-time. So we were there for about five, six years or so with the portfolio there. And uh, had a blast as well. Lived in Brickell, lived in Fort Lauderdale. It was a great time in my life. Okay. I'd love to dig in to the management and just you're overseeing the project a lot more because it's really interesting. You were not in the country. You were spending six months away, six months in the country. So you're not even from Miami or the United States, but you bought two properties. Were they both REO? Yes, correct. Okay. They're both REO. So... Were they both distressed? 
Yeah, distress, in terms of occupancy, they weren't too bad. Both were about 90, 95% occupancy. And dare I say, about half the tenants that I inherited seven years ago are still with me. So wow. very low turnover. Basically, in those two communities, literally 80% of the tenants there are all like related to each other. So it's this like family kind of uh-huh. <laughs> enterprise going on there. So you want them to keep having babies then. Exactly, yeah. So I guess it wasn't distressing from the occupancy point of view. More distressed, I guess, from a CapEx point of view. Like the previous owner wasn't really spending the money to upkeep the place. And also in terms of market rents, they weren't really up to date. So just in terms of bad debt and uh, loss to lease, it was underperforming in that way. But I guess we had a solid base in terms of the occupancy was good. We had a, um, a tenant base that wasn't going anywhere. So I guess that was good upside to, mm-hmm. to deals. With the CapEx projects, First off, before I get into specifics, so you were living in Australia. You bought these two properties pretty much around the same time. Yeah, we're within like two months of each other. Okay, within two months of each other. And what did you have in place initially that you changed whenever you actually lived in Miami? We had a third-party property manager. And look, they were okay. And then when I moved there, I basically got an in-house property manager. So meaning I kind of started my own property management company business and hired my own property manager and handyman that were just loyal to me. They just worked for me basically. And so I guess it was in-house property management and we went from there. Was the property able to afford a full-time in-house property manager and a full-time handyman or were you out of pocket some of those costs? We did those numbers and it actually worked out to be cheaper this way. So once you actually factor in the labor for repairs and maintenance, once you factored in property manager, because I guess the, the property management company, they were hiring someone else. And so I guess they were charging just the management fees and having another property manager. So it actually ended up saving me money by going in-house basically. So it saved you money. And just for my own clarification, it was better financially for you to bring it to full-time people. But was the property still able to support that or were you paying out of pocket Initially, the property was able to support one full-time person. So I had a handyman that collected rents, basically. Okay. <laughs> a very not sophisticated operation. And I guess that uh, kind of worked for a while. We managed to fix up the property. And because everyone there was uh, related, again, the tenant base there was, was very good. So in terms of once we had fixed things up, property started cash flow and all that. So it was good, you know? It's when I started growing the portfolio there that then I had on a full-time property manager and they looked after the entire portfolio. Okay, I'm with you. What type of challenges did you come across whenever you arrived and after you hired your handyman who's also collecting rents? What are some other challenges that you came across? Ooh, challenges in terms of... Portfolio. Basically, it sounds like you were maybe fortunate. It's not the right word, but it's not typical from what I've seen to buy REO property and it have high quality residents. So that's awesome. So what were some challenges that you came across? You know, probably the most challenging thing, dare I say, was actually the management of staff. Again, prior to doing this real estate thing full-time back in Australia, I was an employee. I was actually a property manager, can you believe? Okay. <laughs> so, so, which is why I wasn't afraid to bring the management in-house and manage it myself, as it were. Back in Australia, I was a residential property management, and my last full-time job was a commercial property manager in Dandenong, Melbourne, looking after warehouses and, and commercial property, basically. And just one side question then. You mentioned you had $950,000 in liquidity 
unless property managers get paid significantly more in Australia than they do the United States, how did you get $950,000 in liquidity? In my working career, I've never earned more than $32,000 a year. I've never been highly paid or anything like that, right? It was basically through investments. I started investing in Australia in 2006. And so I don't know if you know anything at all about Australian real estate. Not much. Australia has had 26 years of uninterrupted economic growth. Within the past 26 years, I think they've maybe had one quarter of negative GDP growth. Otherwise, it's just been one huge bull run in the Australian economy. That's another conversation. So consequently, asset prices in Australia have just taken off. So I guess I was a great beneficiary of that. I was buying houses there at two, $300,000. Today, the median house price in Melbourne, Australia is a hero of $900,000. So again, I was a great beneficiary in terms of the asset price inflation in Australia. And also I was cashed up because I was involved with one development project back in Australia. So myself and two other partners, we bought an old house on a large block of land. We demolished it and we put up four townhouses and sold them off. So a lot of my liquidity came from that project as well. Okay. Thanks for the background. That's helpful. So you're a value add investor plus you were able to benefit from what was transpiring with Australian economy in general. All right. Now going back to the original question, challenges you came across with these two properties. Probably the biggest thing, dare I say, was actually personnel <laughs> in terms of hiring the people in the business. So it's really all about the quality of the staff that you have. And my first public manager that I hired, she was a really nice lady really great person, but she didn't have the DNA of a property manager, if you know what I mean. She was just a little bit too nice. (laughs) So I guess in terms of just upholding the standard of what I wanted in my properties, I wasn't being met. And I guess me being an employee as well, I guess I wanted to be the nice boss and everything like that. And basically, I'd say that I kept her on for one year over when I should have fired her early. Uh I think that the biggest issue was actually kind of managing the staff within the property management business rather than the assets themselves. And then again, the biggest issue in, in business is just finding good talent. And so you know, finding a good handyman, all that kind of stuff. I'd say that was probably the biggest issue really, you know, just being the boss, I think for me, was the biggest challenge. I'm going to ask you this question, not to pour salt in the wound, but rather to help the best ever listeners gauge the negative consequences that could take place if they were to do something like that. So if you had kept her on one year longer than you should have, What did that cost you from a business standpoint for not firing someone when you knew you should have? Yeah. Look, just from the metrics of it, right? So for one of the properties, our gross potential income was just under $400,000. So it was about $380,000 or so, okay? We got a new property manager and got her to do a market survey to see where your rents were at the current time. And from them, the recommendations in terms of CapEx, like where we could improve the property to get higher rents. Within about a year of this new property manager coming on board, right, our gross potential income went from $380,000 to about $460,000. So that's quantifying it that way. Wow. But I guess to qualify it, it was just a lot more easier night sleeps with this new property manager (laughs) and a lot more money saved in terms of gas, in terms of medium to drive the properties and and oversee what's going on. So really the biggest problem for any, any business is just getting the right talent in both the quantifiable and qualifiable way. Everything was better with someone that had the proper talent to look Mm -hmm. after the assets. So that's gross potential income, difference of 80K. Let's just assume 20% expenses. That's 40K to NOI. And what's the cap rate? Probably like four or something. Yeah. That's a million dollars right there. That's a million dollars, exactly. exactly. I didn't mean to make it so clean, but there you you go. That's a million dollars worth of value. And I know, Joe, we haven't actually got, I had all this stuff prepared about, you know, like the best real estate investing advice ever. 
I guess I'm telling you about my story, but this wasn't the meat of what I just wanted to go through. But, but <laughs> you never I, know where a conversation goes. I just, exactly. I just kind of dig into wherever yeah, it makes yeah. most sense. You're just totally cool. You're totally cool. Yeah. But I think in that I've realized, I guess my biggest expense, dare I say, not just in real estate in life, is actually opportunity cost. It's the things that I don't do or don't do in a timely way that, that is my biggest expense, really. So that was one of the lessons I guess I learned. One of the experiences I had that, that gave me this lesson that I guess my biggest expense really is opportunity cost. Absolutely. And that's the $1 million in value right there. Just as a little aside, Joe, I love real estate. I think investing in American commercial property is the greatest asset class or investing opportunity on this entire planet. My wife and I were lucky to be able to you know, live in America, live in Australia, live in Malaysia, wherever. Like, we could live anywhere. You know? And I really, hand on my heart, fully believe investing in American commercial real estate is the greatest investing opportunity in this planet. Okay? However, in terms of opportunity costs, I came to America with $950,000 in investable liquidity back in February 2011. About two weeks ago, I decided to just have a look. What would have happened if I invested all that money into Bitcoin back in February 2011? And Joe, do you really want to hear this? It's going to be more whether or not you can actually get the money back out. That's another thing. Exactly. Yeah, that's also more. Yeah, exactly. And my risk profile is such that I wouldn't have invested the entire thing into Bitcoin. But um, let's just say I would have become Australia's second richest man. So yeah. it's not realistic. It's not something I would have done. But, but really, I guess the lesson is often I think our biggest expense really is opportunity cost. You know, if you had also taken that 950000 and just taken $1 of that and done the Powerball drawing for February the 3rd and did numbers 15, 23, 27, 48, 53, and 06 with a power play, you would have won $165 million. <laughs> That's what it's, I yeah. like in Bitcoin too, but I'm sure there are best everyone to <laughs> so disagree with me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch Bitcoin. I guess just the lesson informing now is just opportunity cost. You know? So I, I completely agree with that. You know? What is your best real estate investing advice ever? Ooh, okay. I heard this from an Aussie real estate seminar back when I was starting the journey 12, 13 years ago. Okay? And it was said by a, an Australian developer called Martin Ailes. He's not even really an educator or a teacher. He's just you know, a private developer. He was just invited to speak. And so he asked the audience, what business are you in? And so you know, most people say, oh, we're, we're in the real estate business. And he said, no, I don't believe that you are. The real business that you're in is that we're all in the finance business. So I guess from that, my mindset has been, I'm not really so much in the real estate business. Really, my core business is finance. Hmm, interesting. I've heard that question before, but I've never heard that answer. Sometimes I've heard the answer of we're in the marketing business or we're in the solutions business or we're in the relationship business, but I've never heard we're in the finance business. So when you take that finance business approach, what does that look like in what impact does that have in your business? So I've, I've realized the more financially sophisticated I've become, the bigger and I guess the better quality of deals I've been able to do. So what I mean by that, my very first deal, I got into real estate in a kind of an accidental sort of way in that I needed to buy a house in order to marry my wife. So I decided, look, I'm going to go buy a house. That's my goal. Got to go buy a house. Okay. So what I do, I, I, I go to a bank and said, you know, I'd like to buy a house. What can I do? And they said, you know, you need a tax return. If you want to take out a residential loan and, and buy a house, basically you need a tax return and they don't need really anything else. Because I guess banks know that for most owner occupiers looking to buy houses, the height of their financial sophistication in terms of financial statements is really just a tax return because you're forced to have one. So for me, I mean, I was a student at the time. So even just getting put into a tax return was a bit of a challenge. So that was that one thing. Okay? 
I guess when I moved to commercial real estate and started investing in multifamily, all of a sudden they started asking for, for balance sheets and profit and loss statements. And I guess I learned that with commercial financing, they actually care very little actually about the tax return. They, they just want to see, you know, a statement of assets, and liabilities, and income and expenses, and what they care about. So I, I guess with having that financial sophistication where I can produce these documents very easily, it's allowed me to do bigger commercial type deals, you know? So I did that for a while in, in, in Miami. And then I guess when some Aussie investors heard about what I was doing in Miami, they approached me wanting to invest with me. And I guess that's what has led me to syndication today. That's about raising equity. And I guess when you're raising equity, it's about being able to keep track of where your money's spent. It's about being able to account for assets and liabilities. But I guess with raising equity, it's also about more abstract things. It's about track records, about your service, about your business plan. And I guess if you could kind of boil it all down, I guess with raising equity, it's, it's really all about trust. And so I guess as I've become more financially sophisticated, it's allowed me to do um, bigger and bigger deals. You know, it's really the heart of this business is finance. Mm-hmm. I love it. Thank you for walking us through that. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you want to hire the guy who I hire to help me with my real estate investing business, then go to coachwithtrevor.com. That's coachwithtrevor.com. The Invest This podcast interviews the elite in real estate investment to uncover the secrets to building an empire in every aspect of real estate investment. Visit investthispodcast.com. That's I-N-V-E-S-T-T-H-I-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com for the top 10 real estate books to build your empire and to learn more. Best ever book you've read? The Bible. Best ever deal you've done that wasn't your first and wasn't your last? Ooh, okay. Probably a 51-unit deal in Lake Worth, Florida. From a financial return point of view, I guess because we refired it and got an infinite return for my investors and myself. And also, in terms of just turning around a, a community that was full of drug deals and prostitutes, to something that's much more family-friendly. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Probably that same deal. <laughs> I guess purchasing it with not enough capex budgeted in. What'd you do to resolve that? Uh, we just had to wait for the money to come in through cash flow. Best ever way you like to give back? I really do believe that the business itself is my main way of giving back in terms of just turning around communities. But I'm certainly very much involved in my synagogue as well and enjoying mentoring people in that place. And how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? Probably our website would be best, www.dillonpartners. That's Dylan, D-H-I-L-L-O-N, partners with an S, dot com. Well, Kevin, thank you for being on the show and talking to us about how you got started in the U.S., in Miami, and the lessons that you learned are applicable to any market and applicable to any investor who is focused on value-add deals and or quite frankly, any business person in general, because one of the lessons is your biggest expenses opportunity cost, where it was one year late for firing the property manager. And that was a million dollars worth of value that you were then able to capitalize on or realize once you did the market survey and did a couple things to enhance the gross potential income, as well as just your overall approach with the management side of things and how you handled the handyman who collected rent initially, and then you evolve from there. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Joe. The Invest This podcast interviews the elite in real estate investment to uncover the secrets to building an empire in every aspect of real estate investment. Visit 
investthispodcast.com. That's I-N-V-E-S-T-T-H-I-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T.com for the top 10 real estate books to build your empire and to learn more.